Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. Over the last year and a half, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever have been releasing multimedia content under the banner of Path to the Uplands. The essence of our goal for Path to the Uplands has been to develop a library of resources establishing content to help people from all walks of life to find their own path into bird hunting, upland habitat conservation, dog training, and wild foods. During today's episode of On the Wing Podcast, we're going to learn a little bit about Alps Outdoors, a national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, and the very first company to go all in on our Path to the Uplands concept and our Hunter Mentor Pledge efforts. Also on today's episode, we're going to preview the Path to the Uplands stage at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic coming up March 11th, 12th, and 13th in Omaha. So without further ado, allow me to introduce our guests returning to the podcast, uh, our hunting heritage and program manager, Colby Kirby, Kerber, coming from us uh, in Nebraska. And from Alps Outdoors, Dennis Bruni and his son, Adam Bruni, uh, coming to us from Missouri, if I'm not mistaken, right? You guys are in Missouri? Yes, we are. Um, let's start. Colby, welcome back. Uh, for folks that haven't heard, this is probably episode maybe four. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Four or five, somewhere in there. Uh, glad to be back again with you, Bob, and really excited about today's topic and our guests. Um, these gentlemen are great partners of the organization and just uh, great human beings all around. And um, I think it's going to be a really fun conversation here in what uh, their company and what they individually stand for. And and how our organizations work really well together. So super excited. Uh, thanks for uh, for joining us. Because you know these gentlemen better than anybody in our organization. Maybe go ahead and introduce them, and then uh, Dennis and Adam can take the baton and tell us a little bit about their backstory. Yeah, so um, the relationship really from my end started um, a couple of years ago and has grown extremely quickly. Um, when we were looking at uh, different partners within our recruitment, retention, and reactivation. Uh, we were looking at industry partners and Alps Outdoors was just doing some awesome things uh, through their Save the Lifestyle campaign and, and through the things they were really walking the walk. And uh, we had a conversation with them and that conversation has turned into just an awesome partnership and a friendship really. And so Dennis and Adam have both come and um, hunted here in Nebraska a couple of times, and uh, we went down and visited their headquarters, which I won't spill the beans what they have going on at Alps Outdoors, but, um, you know, it's a, uh, a really uh, true partnership, and Alps is a family business. It's got a great story, just like Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. So, um, Dennis, if you uh, want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, I'm excited to have you guys on. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having us. This is just an awesome opportunity, and hopefully a little bit what we say will be interesting to your listeners. So as I tell people, I'm just an old country boy here from East Central Missouri. I grew up on my dad's little bitty farm, 
and got just completely indoctrinated with the outdoors and just loved what I kind of call the country lifestyle. Uh, Dad tried to make the farm work, uh, as a lot of, I think, those early farmers did. And about the time I was in grade school, I believe, he pretty well figured out that it just wasn't going to be a profession that was going to keep food on the table for his family. So he went to work uh, first, I think, as an electrician. And then I believe he ended up being a mechanic for the local. At that time, it was called Ford. I believe it's now New Holland uh, tractor dealership. And we kind of turned our little farm into a weekend farm. And there was nothing wrong with that. But that was just uh, me and my brother and my dad doing stuff at nights and on the weekends. And I still had 4-H projects. I raised hogs and steers for the local county fair. And uh, that's kind of like what I tell people. That's why I've got country pretty deep in my uh, DNA. Went to high school, had this bright idea that going to college, I only needed two years, but that's how I started. I studied uh, engineering and design engineering. Uh, my first job was for an abrasive blasting equipment company um, as a design engineer, I believe. I uh, did that for a year and a half. Then I had the introduction to get into the outdoor industry, which is really where my passion lies. And the company at that time was called Kelwood, also had a branch here in New Haven. And I walked in the door as this um, farm boy who got to design packs, tents, and sleeping bags. Hmm. And I don't know that it was a dream come true, but it really was. And I was very fortunate. They were really good to me. I grew through their organization, uh, went from just being a design engineer. I got to have the opportunity to run their entire design department. I moved into sales and marketing. That's when their HR person came to me and said, hey, you know, you're doing a good job, but, you know, we're a Fortune 400 company. It would probably be a good idea if you had that four-year degree. So then Maryville College in St. Louis had what they called the weekend college program. So I ended up with the largest briefcase, I think, that was made at the time. And Adam, it was probably a, a suitcase. And so what I would do, I would leave on Monday morning and in half the suitcase would be my selling material. And in the other half would be my books for the weekend, because every other weekend I would get to go to half day sessions, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon or whatever. So three, year late, three years later, I had my uh, four year degree in marketing. And so then they gave me the opportunity to run their Kelty division. And that was awesome. But then Adam, my middle son, who you'll hear from in a second, uh, I had three kids. Brian, my oldest one, uh, was in middle school at the time. And I just decided that commuting to St. Louis wasn't going to work for my lifestyle. And I got this bright idea that I could start an outdoor company myself. And so that's kind of like, you know, a little bit my personal background, you know, my business background. I mean, Alps started in 93. Our first brand was Alps Mountaineering. And a lot of people on the hunting side don't even realize that we have this camping and backpacking brand, but that's really how the business started. And we could pack tents, sleeping bags, air pads, furniture, accessories, duffels, the whole deal. And then I think it was in 90, no, let's see. Adam, you remember what year we started? 2007, I believe we started mm -hmm. outdoors. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because we realized that we wanted a little bit more focus on the hunting market. And I'm not saying that hunters and backpackers don't get along. I actually think that's even changed in the last 15 years. I think they get along a lot better now than they used to. But the old joke is hunters want to go <laughs> in the backcountry and shoot stuff or catch stuff. 
and backpackers and hikers want to go out there and see flowers and see birds. And so there's a little bit of a, you know, mini war there and hunters like their camouflage stuff. So anyway, we just knew that our products needed to have a little bit different focus. So that's when we developed Alps Outdoors. A couple of years after that, in 2010, Browning came to us and said, hey, we kind of like what you guys are doing. Would you consider doing Browning camping? And we decided to do that. So now we've had that uh, license relationship going for over a dozen years. That is tents, sleeping bags, camp furniture, and hunting blinds. So anyway, it's just been just a, a really awesome opportunity. And I think the last little thing that I'll just say, and then I'll shut up and let somebody else talk. It was kind of asked, hey, what kind of was your early connection to like bird hunting or whatever? And again, I'm just reminiscing too much. But back when I was in high school here in Missouri, we actually had quail. And on my dad's little bitty farm, we probably had two or three coveys that we could always kick up. And the neighbors were really friendly. We could go hunt on their property. I had an uncle who had a couple of Brittany bird dogs. And so just about every Sunday afternoon in the fall, Uncle Willard would come out and we'd get the dogs out and we'd head on dad's property and we'd raise two or three cubbies. So it really got in my blood early on that upland hunting mm. was just really, really a special thing to do. That's cool. Um, Alps, Alps Outdoors, Alps Mountaineering, it's, it's a unique name. Where'd the name come from? So believe it or not, we put a little bit of thought into that. And I really challenged myself and some people who were helping me at the time to kind of come up with a word that started with A. Because when you're developing a new consumer brand, you want to figure out some way to be noticed. And I thought, you know what? A lot of times things are just listed alphabetically. Being at the top of the list probably wouldn't be all bad. <laughs> Another thing people don't realize, especially since our first brand was Alps Mountaineering, they thought maybe Alps had something to do with the Alps Mountains. Mm -hmm. Alps is actually an acronym for hmm. Active Lifestyle Products and Services. So without giving myself too much credit, we pretty well opened the door pretty wide. Active lifestyle, products, and services. So that's uh, where okay. it comes from. Yeah. I've always thought, like, well, there's got to be some sort of connection to the mountains, right? And it it plays on that. There's some intuition, which I think is is beneficial to you. But it's interesting. I never thought of it as an acronym. That's, um, that's really insightful. Sure. Um. So three kids, Adam, you're the middle. Are all three of your kids, Dennis, involved in the family business? So that's the other thing. I'm just so proud to tell people it is such a unique situation. Yes, all three are. So Brian, our oldest son, uh, he came to me when he was graduating from college. And it was just about the time that we were really needing some help in the sales department. And so that's what he does. He helps with mm -hmm. the sales effort. Uh, three years later, when Adam graduated, uh, I needed help with product development, international sourcing. And then three years later, Sarah comes along and said, Dad, the boys work for the business. What am I going to do? I said, you're going to make sure the boys are successful. You're going to follow supply chain and logistics. So when Brian needs to sell something and Adam needs to produce it, you're going to figure out how to get it here on time to make sure that we have awesome service. So, yeah. And. I give my wife tons of credit for this. Hopefully I did a few things right, but and I get a little emotional. Those three kids just are amazing how they work together. I mean, they just work as friends more than they do as siblings. And I tell people all the time, 
our situation would not work for most families, but hmm. thank the Lord it works for us. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Adam, uh, I could see on your dad, you could, I'm sure our listeners can hear in your dad's voice. I can see it on your dad's face, having a family owned business where see each other every day that, you know, from the outside, boy, I, I have a great relationship with my parents, but I don't know that I'd work effectively <laughs> with them every single day. What's that like? Let's tell your backstory from your perspective first, and then you can go into the business part. Um, uh, where you grew up, where you went to school, that, that component. Yeah. So I grew up here in Missouri, um, in the business because, as Dennis said, it started in 93. So for most of my life, it's it's been here and it's been a part of my life growing up. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I went um, to college here in the New Haven area, another city called Washington. And then I went to school up in Kansas City, a small school called William Jewell. And then when I graduated in 2006 and I, I joined the, the company. So as Dennis already said, I'm more in charge of like product development and sourcing, um, which has got its benefits for sure, because I get to actually go out and use and test the product because mm. that's one of the things that we really try to do here is not only build product, but let's let's go out in the field and use it. Let's figure out how we can improve on it and not just be happy with what we have. Let's let's figure out a way to make it better and getting out there and actually using it is absolutely in our view, the best way to do that. And out of all the things, camping, hiking, fishing, hunting, what, where's your sweet spot? Um, honestly, I just really enjoy being outdoors. Um, but in terms of what I've been able to do the most, the last couple of years, it's, it's been a little bit more hunting. Um, I've got four small kids, so that's taken, a decent amount of my time, especially the last couple of years. Um, but as they get older, uh, we've done some just backyard camping, but I hope to be able to do a little bit more camping with them as they get a little bit older. Um, but hunting has been something that I can kind of do and go, whether it's, uh, with the company or by myself, um, that I haven't had to drag the kids along to. So, yeah. <laughs> a moment ago, you referred to your dad, as as Dennis, mm-hmm. uh, what what's how like what's that like at going to work? Do you do you have to call him Dennis? <laughs> do you call him Dad? Oh, you know yeah. what's uh what's because you know working with your with your father is probably unique. Yeah, not everybody has um the experience doing so. Tell us about that. Yeah, I uh, I mean as he said, it wouldn't work for a lot of families, but it it has worked great for ours. Um, and yeah, whether I call him dad or Dennis, like (laughs) whenever we're just talking back and forth, that's for sure, dad. But, um, sometimes I catch myself when we're talking business, I refer to him as Dennis. Um, so it's kind of interchangeable for me, but yeah, our relationship with my siblings and us four working together, it, it is pretty special for sure. And get together. I mean, some families are lucky to get to see each other on holidays, if that. So the fact that we get to see each other every day, it's it's something that I don't take for granted for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it, clearly you both have a great relationship and in, in that there's a lot of love and, and also fun there. I'm, I'm curious, 
from your perspective, Dennis, so you got three kids that work in the business. Um, there's got to be a funny story in there where, you know, maybe the kids, one of the kids had a different perspective than you did on a philosophical approach to the business. And, and you're like, I don't, and then it, they were completely right. A- anything that comes to mind where you're like, yeah, yeah, that, that was a learning lesson for me. You know, nothing comes to mind along that vein. And I know Brian gets so tired of me telling it, but I think the most kind of funny story is, and it plays into each one a little bit. So I said that Brian contacted me when he was ready to graduate. What I didn't say is he contacted me after he graduated and on the last day when he's moving out of his apartment. And so as a lot of young men are, they're not like overly communicative. And so even though we had a phenomenal relationship, I just knew that when he called me that day and said, hey, dad, this is Brian. Hey, okay, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing today? He was like a little extra chatty. I'm thinking (laughs) after about like five minutes, I knew what he wanted. So I just said, Brian, what do you want? And he said, well, you've been saying like the last year or so, you know, that like whenever I graduated, I could come to work for Alps. Did you really mean that? Uh, Yeah, Brian, I really meant that. But you have to want to do it. Well, yeah, I Hmm. do want to do it. Okay, fine. Then the job's yours. Get over here and let's get going. So when Adam comes along, I said, because they both graduated traditionally in the spring. At Christmas, with a semester to go, I said, Adam, we're not doing what Brian did. You are making your commitment now. (laughs) So I had him on board then six months ahead. And then poor Sarah, who got way too much of my type A personality, I think she knew when she was about halfway through college that that's what she wanted to do. (laughs) So that's probably kind of the funniest thing about, you know, just different personalities and, you know, how we can all be different, but can all Mm -hmm. still bring a skill set that just helps, you know, our business. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's a very fun story. It's it's really it, it's really clear to see the relationship. You know, I've I've not been together with you two before, Dennis and Adam, but to see the relationship that exists like instantaneously, um, there's a lot of love and respect there, and that's um, that's something that it, clearly you don't take for granted, and you should treasure. It it leads me to, you know, one of the things that as you go through the Alps website and this is true in all of the um all the marketing that you guys do with us is this phrase helping save the lifestyle and to to me as as i hear you guys talk that's sort of embodied in your family um and you've baked that into your corporation into your company into your business Dennis, tell me about where that came from and, and what that phrase means to you. What 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 you're trying to get across with the help the life help save the lifestyle motto behind a lot of what you do. Sure, and this is a little bit of a long answer, and hopefully, I'll be able to give kind of a clear overview. So I don't know when it really was for sure. I mean, I think I kind of looked up in preparation for this that all the way back in 2008 is when we started our first partnership 
with a national conservation group. And I just had this feeling not to sound better than other company businesses or whatever, but we needed to do something. And you hear this phrase a lot to kind of give back. And that's what I felt like I wanted to do. So I felt like by starting to partner with other conservation groups, if we could contribute some resources financially to help their mission, that that's what we wanted to do. So we started with one. The partnership really grew. We started with a couple other ones. And I found that I was doing what too many executives do. They just think that they're going to feel better if they throw money at the problem. And I found out that it just wasn't really doing what I wanted. And I'm not being critical of any of those organizations that we gave money to. There is no doubt that those contributions helped some, but it just wasn't really helping kind of what I wanted. And I kind of pulled the brake on it about four or five years ago. And we came up with this Save the Lifestyle um, name, I guess. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to take a completely different course of action. We're going to start over and say, if we can add one new, and we started off saying Hunter. And I've even noticed Adam said it a while ago, and I think he's very truthful. He says he just likes being outdoors. So we started early on saying, well, let's save a hunter. And I, and I just kind of modified it and said, well, no, we just want to get people outside. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm going to kind of fast forward today a little bit, and, I, and I'll try to go back and fill in the blanks a little bit. I'm evolving this initiative or this campaign even today and even just this last week. And it started out as save the lifestyle, but I'm starting to to understand that it might equally be sharing the lifestyle. Mm. So save sounds a little bit more desperate. And I don't mm-hmm. I'm, I want to be careful that I don't want people to think that I am trying to impose what is so important to me upon them. But I'm just so passionate about it that I can't believe that other people wouldn't be equally happy to share experiences outdoors. And there's kind of a saying, and again, I don't want to delineate or separate between city folks and country folks, but for those of us who have enjoyed out in the far reaches of the country on a nice clear night and you see all the stars and the first time you bring, and I hope this isn't demeaning, but a city kid, out there and they're around the campfire and they look up and they go, where'd all these stars come from? Hmm. Well, they're there the whole time. But, but who doesn't like that? Everybody Mm -hmm. likes that. So that's what we're trying to do is just share that with more people. And I had the opportunity to run into a guy, Shane Mahoney, a few years ago, I actually got to share a hunt camp with him. And one of the things that we said one night around a campfire, or he said, really, is do you notice the sharing aspect? He goes, what do people who are outdoors people, what do they do? If they go find blackberries or if they go find mushrooms or if they harvest an animal and after they harvest that animal and they prepare the food, they're now back to the mushrooms or blackberries. On their way home, they stop by their neighbors and they knock on the door and say, hey, Joe, look what I just found. You want a couple of these mushrooms? He goes, If you go stop at the store and you buy your groceries, you don't stop on the way home and say, hey, Jane, you need six eggs, you know, (laughs) so that really set Mm. up to me, you know, Mm -hmm. so that's why I'm kind of evolving this a little bit to maybe it's maybe a better way would be to talk about sharing the lifestyle because we just really want folks to to 
experience it if they can. And another thing that I'm so grateful for your organization and Colby's really been instrumental. And I don't want to get into a political thing. I don't think it's political. But man, there's a lot of white maleness to hunting. And boy, whatever we can do to try to bring folks of color and more females and to just be open and friendly and share again the opportunities that there are for us all to be out there, you know, enjoying God's creation. That's kind of what it is. So how's that for a long answer to what? <laughs> say uh, it, it was, it packed a powerful punch and I think it was really well articulated. I do, you know, I, I've thought the same thing when you mentioned the word save, it sort of felt, boy, it, it, it's close, but it doesn't quite ring true. Whereas share in the story of the blackberries really hits home for me. It is something that whether you, you catch a, a limit of walleyes or you, you pick a pat, you know, a bucket of blueberries in the Northwoods, you know, you share them with your, your, your mom or your best buddy or whoever it is, but you do share those things. And that's, that's um, a little bit about, you know, sharing the fruits of the success but it's also in what you touched on this too, sharing the deeper experience, the the philosophy, um, a conservation ethic. So there's it's multi layered, right? Um, and, and you also think about um, the last two years in this new world we all live in, uh, where a pandemic's going on and people have gone to the outdoors to share um, togetherness. Like in the outdoors, because it's open air and it's it's healthier and safer, right? That we all have gone back um, as a population to share outdoor experiences more than any time. You know, I'm a Gen Xer. Adam looks like he's probably a, a millennial. You know, yeah. and any time in the last couple of generations. Um, you know, since the sixties or seventies, this is the pop, the, the generation that's going back to the outdoors more than anything. So that really resonates with me. The other thing that, you know, speaking very personally, I, I'm in my 20th year at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. So I've spent, you know, I don't know, close to half my life um, at this organization. It really means a lot on a personal level when companies um invest in a charity to the point of seeing a big picture about yeah you know it's great when they buy advertising marketing asset, assets to sell products like thank goodness there's a bunch of companies that do that but the ones that see it as helping an organization like ours create better habitat more public access so it helps get those quail numbers back up in Missouri. So it creates walk-in opportunities in Nebraska. So it creates more birds and more opportunities to share experiences. That to, that like really rings home for me in my heart is, you know, it, we have 413 employees that care so passionately working for this organization that, and to have and, and then we have 130,000 members that give their time as volunteers 
and you know, blood, sweat, and tears putting on banquets doing habitat projects. And when companies come forward and invest in the mission and see, yeah, I'm going to spend money advertising and marketing the products, but I'm also going to help perpetuate the mission of the organization to get more people outdoors. So there is access. So there is opportunity. You know, that to me, it's like, heck yeah, that I'm, I'm going to buy that product. I'm going to buy Alps Outdoors because they get the full circle. Um, So that, that really is powerful. And there's, there's lots of, you know, Perina Pro Plan, Federal Ammunition, Browning, you mentioned, you know, there's so many companies that really have invested in our organization. And the, the neat thing is Sport Dog, many of these are on the path to the Uplands roster as sponsors of this concept. And where Path to the Uplands, you know, really was a, a concept that helped uh, help the organization uh, two years ago when when National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic had to be canceled because of this pandemic. We're like, we got to come up with something to help our sponsors get engaged with our audience, but also helps us keep revenue flowing to the organization um, in the absence of our biggest event. I mean, there's there's a financial component there that like we're not going to run from. Pheasant Fest puts habitat on the ground and Alps is like, do I, do we want to help the organization? Do we want to help Path to the Uplands sign us up? You guys were the first ones to, to jump on board. Go ahead, Dennis. Well, and I just want to return the kind words. You know, this is why partnership really means two way. You folks have really been amazing partners in just even wanting to listen and be flexible about how we might be able to work together. And I'll just share kind of like the first meeting that we had, I kind of called it my corporate Pheasants Forever meeting. And a bunch of your senior guys came down and we were talking about going back to what I said about kind of resetting what Save the Lifestyle meant. And we had started our own mentor challenge. And I believe, and I think I'm in the ballpark when I say that first year we maybe did like 165 signups. And I'm sharing that with your team and I'm feeling a little bit down in the dumps. And I, I think I even said, yeah, you know, it, it's a start, you know, it's not too bad. It was only 165. And one of your team members says, 165, that's freaking awesome. That's a great first year. And so since then, you know, then I think the year after that, we doubled it. And I think the year after that, we doubled it. But the point being, your team was so receptive to say that's a good idea and how can we work together? I'm just Mm. impressed like I can't believe. And just, you know, Colby has just been amazing. I'm not here to just patronize you guys, but I just want to let you know, you guys are pretty special too. Well, I I, want to come back to some of that because our organization isn't the only organization you support. And you, you touched on that, but I want to name some names because you do support a lot of other nonprofit conservation groups. And I think that's important. We don't have any parochialism there. Uh, but it, because you, you touched on Hunter Mentor Pledge, I want to go there first because that's that's probably the longest thread of our relationship is the Hunter Mentor Pledge. So Colby's been 
the quarterback of that working with with Alps and integrating that into um, everything from our chapter volunteers, video production, uh, website. Tell, Colby, tell us about the Hunter Mentor Pledge for folks that, you know, we did a podcast uh, around it, but uh, for folks that maybe don't know. Yeah, the, the Hunter Mentor Pledge, and this is our third year going into the Hunter Mentor Pledge. So as um, Dennis referred to the first year that we did it, we actually had a, a shortened version. So it was about three months long. And then uh, the next year we realized we wanted to open that time window because um, as we've hit on a couple of times today, it's not just about uh, creating a new hunter, but that outdoor lifestyle and getting people into the outdoors. And um, it, it's not about a certain species either. You know, it's not about just upland hunting. So we really felt that we wanted to extend that window um, and inspire and engage people to take somebody new into the outdoors or reactivate somebody. Um, you know, when these conversations started, it was uh, pre-COVID. And so we've seen um, that drive people to the outdoors. But this is our way to really inspire people to mentor somebody one-on-one. -on -one. So even though we have great programs across the country where we're doing learn to hunt events and we're taking individuals into the outdoors, this is more about investing in an individual person throughout the season. So this is teaching them about uh, conservation ethics, teaching them uh, in the summer how to wing shoot, taking them out on an actual hunt in the fall, uh, following back up and, and getting them involved in a local Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever banquet. Um, this is more of an investment into an individual um, and, and that's what we're really trying to do with the Mentor Pledge and, and everything within R3 is, is relevancy. Um, sometimes I think when we talk about R3, the conversation goes towards uh, conservation funding and um, obviously the dollars that are involved with license sales. But at the end of the day, that's, that's not our main goal. Our main goal is to create active uh, conservationists that are um, advocates out there for everything that we love. And um, in order to do that, we have to diversify uh, the hunters across this country and, and remain relevant for the future. So uh, this year's Mentor Pledge, um, we're about three quarters of the way through it, but it ends at the end of the fiscal year in June. Uh, it's very simple to take the Mentor Pledge. You go to pheasantsforever.org backslash Mentor Pledge or quailforever.org backslash Mentor Pledge. Uh, simply say, hey, I'm willing to introduce somebody or reintroduce somebody into the outdoors. Um, and then when you do that, take somebody outdoors, take them shed hunting right now, take them turkey hunting this spring, um, take them out wing shooting, get them on the clay course, um, all kinds of great opportunities. Take them over your bird dogs. I mean, you talk about a way to get somebody addicted to the outdoors, um, but just get them involved and then share your story with us. And, and by doing so, uh, we're going to give away a couple of great prizes included. Um, this year is the grand prize for one mentor and mentee is a guided hunt um, in South Dakota to go upland hunting next year. So both the mentee and the mentor will go on a guided hunt. Um, last year, it was a, a guided upland hunt over in Illinois. So um, there's all kinds of other great incentives, shotguns, Alps Outdoors gear, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever memberships. But at the end of the day, that Part of it is um, that's just an incentive to get you to go and do this. But it's really about changing not only your perception of the outdoors, but somebody new. Um, it was pretty cool. Last year, we did a little bit of diving into the 600 individuals, you know, that took the mentor pledge. 
and the stories, um, talking about people taking somebody new into the outdoors. Um, we have people from 46 different states and everything from elk to grouse and coyote hunting and everything in between. So it, it's just been an awesome partnership. And you're, I'm glad you hit on some things that happen in the spring because I think it's too easy for people to sort of write it off as like, well, upland season's over and I can't take the pledge. The, the reality is the most people that I've mentored or been connected to, or, or I think about, maybe he doesn't think of himself as a formal mentor, but my buddy John Zeman had, puts on a dog training session for puppies and new, new owners every single Wednesday night in the spring and summer. Mm. He's mentoring. Like whether or not we formally call it mentoring, you know, dog training, you know, a bird dog is such a large connector into the outdoors and a person that helps you train your dog in obedience to bird introduction, to fire that's a mentor too. And we, you know, whether it's you're listening and you're part of NAVDA um, or, you know, you, you got a new pup and you're looking for a little help. Um, you know, whether you're a mentee or mentor, get connected with the organization. You go to the mentor pledge. You can reach out to Colby because of that connection with NAVDA too. We can make the, the links for you. Um, there's just lots of different ways, no matter what time of year we're talking about to get involved and not, not only to save the lifestyle, but really to share the lifestyle and, and no better way to do that than with the bird dog. Um, Adam, I, your, your dad has mentioned, you know, a lot of different conservation organizations that, that you work with. Well, he, he's mentioned it vaguely, but I want to, I want to shout out to all the groups that you guys work with. And I'm looking at alpsoutdoors.com. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, White Tails Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited, Quail and Upland Wildlife Federation, International Hunter Education, National Wild Turkey Federation, Delta Waterfall, Sportsman's Alliance, Ronald McDonald House Kids and Clays, National Deers. I mean, this page just goes on and on and on, as well as obviously Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a part of the ethos of Alps, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously we have a very strong connection with uh, your group, but it's not, it's not just pheasants and quail. It's, it's across all hunt types and um, yeah, it obviously all works together. Like you can't have conservation in just one area. It all works together. And those, most people aren't just upland hunts. They, they go out West or they, they have whitetails or they have turkeys in their area. Like, um, and to be able to truly experience the outdoors, like we're trying to do, we're trying to share that to have a diversity of options, I think is important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And, you know, on behalf of our organization, thank you. On behalf of a person that likes to chase rough grouse and turkeys and ducks and you name it. My wife used to work for Ronald McDonald house. You know, like, like you say, we're, we're not all one dimensional people, right? They're multifaceted, faceted with, and I know Colby, you know, Colby loves big game sitting in a tree stand. Um, So on behalf of, you know, not to be 
verbose, but speak on behalf of the entire conservation world, but speak on it as a hunter and an angler. Um, thank you for what you guys do and what your business does. I want to transition here to specifically uh, back to Path to the Uplands, but how that takes shape at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. Before I do, uh, we got um, an invitation here from Hank Shaw, our keynote speaker at the National Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever Banquet coming up real quickly here, Saturday, March 12th. Here's Hank. Hey, everybody. Join me. I'm Hank Shaw, author of five different cookbooks focused on fish and wild game, including pheasant, quail, cottontail, as well as the website Hunter Angler Gardener Cook. I'm going to be at the National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic coming up in Omaha, Nebraska on the weekend of March 11th. I'm super excited to be doing a seminar on how you can get more out of your upland game birds, and I'm also going to be cooking some awesome pheasant and quail dishes that you can sample on the cooking stage at Pheasant Fest. And at the main banquet, I'll be delivering a talk called Drumstick Diplomacy. This is where I'm going to connect my passion for wild foods and upland game bird hunting with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's mission to preserving the future of hunting and the future of habitat for not only the game birds that we chase, but also for the environments themselves. Join me at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic by picking up tickets at pheasantfest.org. That is pheasantfest, all one word, dot org. See you there. All right. Um, part of National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, we got our show floor, 470 different booths, all of them sold out. Every booth space is sold. Uh, we've got five different stages on the show floor, and Colby quarterbacks, as you'd probably expect, our path to the upland stage. This will be the, I think, Colby, the second path to the upland stage at national pheasant fest and quail classic so maybe give us um kind of your vision for how this stage came together um and then uh some of the highlights that you're excited for as we head into omaha yeah so this is the the second year of the path to the upland stage which was formerly um it was a youth stage before that so the stage presence was there but um at that point in time e each and every one of our presentations was um, directed uh, for youth programming and, and different aspects. And so uh, we do have our youth village still, um, and we're going to have all kinds of great things within the youth village again this year. So that's the, one of my favorite things about uh, Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic um, is it's such a family-friendly event, and there is stuff there for, for everybody. Uh, my kids, I think, are super excited. This will be their first Pheasant Fest with it being in Omaha, Nebraska this year. So I know um, they're, they're excited to go on the BB gun range and shoot bows and arrows and do all the cool stuff in Youth Village. Uh, but that being said, um, three years ago in when we had it in uh, Minneapolis, we were discussing and planning for the youth stage and said, well, um, why don't we open the doors a little bit wider? So that way, some of the things we're talking about here um, would resonate well to a, a whole host of individuals. Um, so instead of just having youth stuff on this stage, let's let's open it up. Um, let's still have some youth-focused talks on the stage, but let's really diversify um, our speakers and try to inspire more individuals um, of all ages to, to get into the outdoors. And so that's where the conversation started. And um, it was a, a huge success. People um, really enjoyed it when we did it in Minnesota. 
And um, we're looking forward to having the second year of it uh, this year in Omaha. Um, that being said, when we had the content series this year, that was all that content that we put on our website is, is building up to the Path to the Upland stage. And um, I'm really excited about our lineup of speakers that we have this year. Uh, the topics range from, um, you know, women on the wing. If you're uh, coming to Pheasant Fest and you want to know uh, some different gear that you should use, um, we have a talk on that. We have uh, different diversity, how to get um, unique individuals into the outdoors. We have simple how-to basic uh, presentations to things that are more advanced. Um, you know, if you want to learn about falconry or shooting sports or wild game, uh, that's all just within the path of the upland stage, let alone the other stages that we have and the great vendors. So um, it's going to be a great event and, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, it, it's um, so a couple of shout outs. So we do have all that content that we've been building the last couple of years. You can find it at pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org under the hunting tab you'll see Path to the Uplands. Um, and again, there's podcasts, there's videos, there's blogs, there's photo galleries. Um, however deep you want to dive, there's all kinds of content, dogs, wild foods, how to learn to hunt. Um, and, and again, the sponsors of Path to the Uplands that deserve a shout out, Federal Ammunition, Alps Outdoors, Onyx Hunt App, Sound Gear Hearing Production, and Sport Dog e-collars. All five of those sponsors are not only sponsors of Path to the Uplands, all five of them are national sponsors of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Um, and the other thing, so Pheasant, go, uh, talking about the speakers at Pheasant Fest, you can go to pheasantfest.org and underneath the seminars tab, you can look at the full lineup. And Colby, Colby is uh, very modest. Because he knocked down a seminar every half hour of three days um, at at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, um, so this is going to be super um, in depth and diverse and dynamic. Every half hour, a different seminar takes a stage, sort of broken up into the hunting heritage category, the women on the wing category, shooting sports, and then they are three recruit, retain, and reactivate. So there's truly something for everybody over the course of the three days. And the roster is is a virtual who's who of, of names in the um, the Upland world. Folks like Travis Frank, Sam Soholt, um, Darrell Smith, Tina Dockin. It's, it's a really, really well-executed uh, stage and, and Colby, kudos to you for how much effort and time and work you put into to coordinating all of that. It's it's um, a very very exciting. It's going to be um, one of the focal points of the show in Omaha for sure. That's going to have a lot of energy. Um, Dennis, as as you look at that lineup, and I know you're going to Pheasant Fest, you'll be there. Um, what, who pops out to you? What, uh, what, what seminars are you anxious to attend at Pheasant Fest? So <clears throat> it's a little bit what Colby was saying when he talked about the variety. And I think that's what is so appealing to me. And I believe will be appealing to the audience, but he already mentioned like women on the wings, you know, another mm -hmm. topic was share a meal. 
you know, another topic was inspiring new diverse hunters. Another topic, hunter turned conservation advocate. Hmm. Something that couldn't be better for me, raising a family in the outdoors. <laughs> and then lastly, again, another diversity one, you know, bringing the unlikely to the upland. So hmm. I think that's what is so exciting and energetic here. So I guess sometimes when you have a big project, maybe they can be daunting. But man, oh man, we all have so much that we can continue to share and teach and mentor and help. That uh, I just think, yeah, all of you're right. I mean, Colby has just done a phenomenal job here, and it's, it's, I can't wait to sit and listen. So hopefully, I brought enough staff that they can run the booth and I can go over there. So. <laughs> The, the other thing that we haven't even mentioned is um, the Alps booth will be right across from the path to the Upland stage. And then right at the path to the Upland stage, we will actually have a booth set up for the Mentor Pledge. Um, so for those that haven't had a chance to go onto the website and sign up, we'll have iPads right there at Pheasant Fest. And um, we're going to be giving away some incentives there at the show floor. So stop by the Mentor Pledge booth if you haven't had an opportunity um, it, it will be set up right outside the uh, path of the upland stage. So it'll all flow together. Outstanding. Uh, so I'll point folks once again to pheasantfest.org. Uh, at the moment, you're still able to buy buy one, get one tickets uh, on our website, pheasantfest.org. That's going to go away on Friday, March 11th, when we actually open the show. So if you're uh, listening to this and you're planning to go to Pheasant Fest in Omaha, get online and take advantage of that opportunity to buy tickets ahead of time. Um, super great deal right now that, um, again, is going to go away once we open the gates. Um, pheasantfest.org. And as I transition to uh, closing remarks for everybody, um, I do also want to shout out that we're almost done with the uh, window of time to learn about the CRP Conservation Reserve Program general sign-up. That ends this Friday, March 11th. So um, here's, a, here's a short mention of that. Uh, have a listen. Attention landowners, the Conservation Reserve Program, CRP, is now open. CRP is a great opportunity for those hard-to-farm acres. It also helps improve a farm's profitability, delivers high-quality wildlife habitat, cleaner water, and healthier soils. The CRP sign-up is going on right now through March 11th. Find a local Pheasants Forever biologist at pheasantsforever.org CRP or visit your local USDA service center. Farm the best, CRP the rest. All right. Um, let's go around the horn. Closing thoughts. We've talked about um, sharing the lifestyle um, path to the uplands, the hunter mentor pledge. Um, what stands out to you, Adam, or what's, what's, uh, your closing thought as we wrap up this episode? We'll start, we'll start with Adam. Yeah, I know. Um, it's been said multiple times, but I think this partnership between our two organizations is truly something special. Um, and that's what it is. It's a partnership. It's two ways. And to me, it, it almost feels like an extension of Alps or an extension of our family here. Like we've worked with Colby and others from your company that have just, it's just so natural and it's the same. We're, we're all trying to get to the same goal of getting more people outdoors. 
And even some of the people that were coming to Pheasant Fest that will be in our booth, like Colby's helped mentor them and just hmm. being bringing people through that process together, seeing it firsthand um, is just something truly special that <laughs> until you get to experience it as a mentor, you're like, okay, well, yeah, that might be cool, but why would I want to go out and take somebody hunting when I could go do it myself? Mm-hmm. I can tell you from experience, and I'm, I know Colby and Dennis can too, but like to, to see that on the other side and to see somebody that hasn't even shot a gun and then they bust their first clay and then they actually harvest an animal and the stories that come along um, just throughout that whole process um, it's just something special that I'd really encourage everyone to do. And I just really thank pheasants and quail um, for the partnership because we, we we truly do appreciate it. Cool. Well, um, I know Kobe will mention this in his remarks, I'm sure, but we we appreciate the partnership at every level of this organization, it, um, from the volunteers to the uh, to to the employees. Um, having a company like yours that invests in our mission um, truly makes a huge difference. Um, Dennis, your final thoughts. Well, I couldn't agree more with everything Adam said, but I'm going to just mention one other thing. We talk about mentoring. A lot of times it still goes to hunting. And there are a lot of organizations that have recognized what I'm going to talk about. But I think there's two other areas that we can continue to just share and help and mentor in. And that's what happens after the harvest. Something as simple as field dressing. You know, I'm almost ashamed to admit, I mean, I grew up on a farm and I've told people, I think I knew more about butchering when I was 10 than I do now. Hmm. And so you just forget when you don't do some of those things. And so then after you field dress it, then you want to learn to cook and prepare that food. And not picking on my mother, but man, she was pretty traditional and she knew how to not cook more venison and wild game than she knew how to cook it. And so I think there's such an opportunity to let folks that are new to this harvesting of wild game to know how to clean it and how to prepare it and how to really have nutritious, delicious food. So anyway, just more for us to do. Yeah, right on. Right on. And, and for folks that are listening um, and heading to Pheasant Fest, you can learn some of those tr- tips and tricks um, on our wild game cooking stage presented by another great partner, Walton's. Uh, we have uh, another fantastic lineup of chefs on the wild game cooking stage to help you turn your, your pheasants, your quail, your venison uh, from prairie to plate into a delicious meal. Um, Colby, closing thoughts from you. Well, just to feed off what Dennis said with the the after the harvest, um, a really quick story of a couple of years ago when I, I was able to take my cousin, somebody within my own family out on a quail hunt that had never hunted upland birds before. And what the little things and the ripple effects that come from that that you don't think about on the front mm-hmm. end um, are, are pretty remarkable. And the the best thing that came out of that was my 84-year-old grandmother, when we came back with a quail and um, told her the story, my cousin did, and she was so excited. She said, can I cook the quail? She said, Ooh. I have not had a wild pheasant or quail in 30 plus years of my life. 
Um, you know, my grandfather passed away, unfortunately, when my mom was in high school. So I never met um, my blood grandfather, but he was a sportsman. Um, the rest of my family, there was no sportsman within my family, uncles, cousins, any of that type of stuff. So um, when my grandmother cooked that quail, um, she threw it right up on the frying pan and, and fried it up. And it probably wasn't cooked properly. It wasn't the best wild game that I've ever tasted. But to see my grandmother and the smile on her face as she cooked a quail mm. that she hadn't cooked in 30 years, um, those are the types of things that happen when you take somebody new into the outdoors and the ripple effects that we can have as sportsmen and sportswomen across this country. So um, with that, I just would encourage everybody to slow down, take the time, invest in somebody this year, start planning now if you're going to take somebody into the field next fall um, and really just enjoy the little things and um, learn together, you know, because um, ever since I've started this R3 journey, um, the people that I have been in the field with have taught me much more than I've probably taught them. So um, it, hmm. it, it truly is something to enjoy in a, in a part of nature. And um, it's how we will produce conservation advocates for the future. Really well said. Share the lifestyle to sum it up, right? That's yeah. really well said. Um, folks, please join us in Omaha, Nebraska for National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. You can see the Bruni family at the Alps Outdoors booth right across from the path to the upland stage where you can find colby he'll be the guy with the big beard running around getting things organized and uh i'll be uh, uh helping kick things off at uh, 11 a.m friday march 11th on the bird dog parade stage my favorite hour of the year when i get to uh, announce the bird dogs and their owners in the bird dog parade kicking off our signature event I sincerely hope that you'll stop by all of those places at Pheasant Fest and, and say hi. And I uh, uh, can't thank everybody enough for listening, for Adam, Dennis, Colby. Um, thanks very much for, for sharing your stories with us today. Um, look forward to seeing you all in person in uh, just a few days now at, in Omaha. Uh, folks, thank you very much for listening. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks.